righty. Well, good morning, Icon. If you will remain standing <laughs> for the reading of God's Word. The scripture reading for today comes out of Luke chapter 1, verses 30, or 67 through 80. Starting in 67, and his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I... I thank you for a, another Sunday in Advent where we get to see how the reality of our lives perfectly intersects with the coming of Jesus Christ. That you are not a God who is detached from real life. You don't offer general solutions, but you meet us in our specific needs. And so today, as we, as we explore the idea of the peace that comes with Jesus Christ, I ask that your spirit would help us. And as we talk about specific things that, that can lead us into that peace, I ask that your spirit would, would give us comfort, God. And anything that, that, that is any fog, any apathy, any sense of disillusionment with this season, I pray that you would clear it away today and that we would be able to receive the peace that is available to us in Jesus Christ. Father, today, would you unite your power with my weak words and give us peace as a consequence? For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I'm curious. I have a question. Does anyone else have an extremely hard time swallowing pills? Can I get a show of hands? Yeah, yeah. No? That's a lot less people than I was figuring. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I'm one of those people. Um, I, I, I don't take like medicine, but I have different supplements. And, uh, and I, for some reason, there's just this like this reflex in my throat that just does not want to let the pill down. Like I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to choke. I'm afraid that it's going to get stuck or even go down in my airways. I'm going to aspirate. I'm in general a pretty anxious person. Um, and, and it shows up in that way. And, and specifically this morning, um, I, I was, uh, so I, I have some adrenal issues and uh, I take this supplement that is 
Um, It's really just uh, bovine or cow adrenal gland that's meant to help me uh, get better with my adrenal issues. I know so many of you are in the medical field, and you're probably like, my pastor is one of those guys, right? (laughs) Like one of those weird, you know, witch doctor type of people. It works for me. Placebo or not, I don't care. It works. Um, And I was there. I went to go take these pills this morning while I was kind of finishing up and looking over this sermon. And you got to take two of them, and they're really small. They're not. They're not big. Um, but, but it's still, still hard for me. And, uh, I, you know, I throw the two pills in my mouth and I get just enough water and I'm like, you know, try to do this so the microphone getting too loud. You know, I'm like, like leaning back to let it fall to the back of my throat and then swallow it with the water. And, um, I'm doing that. I'm not lying for a solid, probably like five minutes. And, um, and eventually because the pill that I'm taking is bovine gland and it tastes like that. That pill is slowly dissolving in my mouth with the water in there while I'm trying to swallow it. And I'm so glad no one else is in the office. Sackets, maybe, maybe you heard me hacking this morning. But I just like, I, I, I leaned forward all of a sudden and tasted the bovine gland and just <clears throat> like, just tried, like got it out of me. And uh, it took a while for me to, to swallow those two pills. Um, why do I say all that when we're talking about Advent? Um, well, I think some of the things that, that, that the Advent season brings, we, we know we need and we know that we want, but we really have a hard time, like those little pills, getting it into us, right? You know, there's the phrase that, that it's a hard pill to swallow. A lot of times that's, that's connected to like, you know, wanting to do something or wanting to accept something that you don't want to do. But, but sometimes a pill is hard to swallow even though you want it, just, but you just can't get it down into you. And, and I think that there's some things in this Advent season that we really want in us. It's not like we don't want to accept it, but we just have a hard time really letting it, really letting our hearts receive it. And one of those things in this Advent season that is so hard to really receive is is peace. We we all know that there should be some sense of peace in this season, right? We we sing beautiful songs about the calm baby Jesus and we try to we try to quiet our souls, but in reality, our lives in this Advent season are maybe more chaotic than ever in any other time of the year. Trying to, trying to deal with all the different activities and all the gifts that we got to do and all the people we got to see and getting the Christmas cards out to the right people, right? It's chaotic. How do we receive the peace that we need? And apart from just the, the chaos of the season, I think part of the reason why it's so difficult to receive that peace down into us is because Advent always comes at the end of the year which means, most often, there's a little bit of pain lingering from the year. There's a little bit of difficulty. There's a little bit of sorrow, grief, anxiety. And all of these things are rushing towards December. And the power of Advent by itself is not enough for us to be able to push back all of that, that year's worth of sorrow, of anxiety, of grief, and really receive peace. But the good news is, is that today in Zechariah's prophecy or or poem, he puts out really two main themes in his little poem or prophecy that that I think will help us to uh, receive peace in this Advent season. And and the two things that that we're going to see in this poem is, is one, 
that Zechariah rejoices in this poem because of two things. Number one, the coming of Jesus is an expression of God's faithfulness to his prior promises. And number two, the coming of Jesus is the expression of God's tender mercy. And I think if we see those things rightly, as we'll see toward the end, we can actually receive some of that peace that we know we need in this season. So let's, let's, let's jump in. Let's talk about God's faithfulness. Now, before we, we, we dissect a little bit of this poem, let's talk about some context in which this is happening. So at, at this point in Israel's history, uh, Israel is on year number 400 of silence from God. 400 years of silence. Older than the United States, silence from God. Not since the prophet Malachi has God spoken to his people. And the reason for this silence, as the Old Testament prophets show, is that Israel had again and again and again demonstrated unfaithfulness towards God. Again and again and again, choosing to, to mold their behavior and their values with that of the dominant pagan culture. So, so God has, at this point, been silent for, for 400 years as a consequence of their sin. And the last thing that he tells them from the prophet Malachi is this promise. This is the last thing. I want you to feel this. This is the last thing that the people of Israel had heard for 400 years. It's in Malachi 4, verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will return the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. That's the last thing the people of Israel hear from God and then 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence due to the unfaithfulness of Israel, but God promises that that the silence is going to end at some point because of his own faithfulness. And then, as we see in the Gospel of Luke, along comes Zechariah in year 400 of silence. Zechariah is a man who, who knows the, the pain of yet-to-be-fulfilled promises. <laughs> Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, if you know a little bit about this gospel, we, we meet Zechariah, and his name literally means re- remembered by God. And this man is a, is a priest. And so one day, as he's performing his priestly duties, he, he's chosen to, to go into the temple, and this is all in chapter one. You can read it if you want. Go into the temple in order to burn incense, which is meant to, to symbolize the, the prayers of the people going up to God. So Zechariah goes into the temple and is burning incense while everyone outside continues to pray. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears. <laughs> An, an angel appears. Now, an angel in Scripture is a lot different than what we think. The, the, the word literally just means messenger. All of a sudden, after 400 years of silence, a messenger shows up. And his message is this. Again, you can read this in Luke chapter 1. He says this for Zechariah. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to the children. 
Do you hear the, the similarity of the angel's message with that of God's final promise in Malachi? That all of a sudden, Zechariah has just been clued in on the greatest news that any Israelite had heard for 400 years. God is returning to his people. What God said he's going to do, he's, he's now doing. And understandably, when, the, when this promised child is born earlier, right there in verses 57 through 56, Zechariah sings and rejoices to the tune of this fact. God is faithful. Zechariah sees in the birth of his son, John, who will go before Jesus as a messenger, that God is faithful. He sings. He rejoices because of what all of these demonstrate. God is faithful to do what he said he's going to do. That God has certain promises. God has certain promises to the people of Israel that he is going to fulfill. And specifically, if you look at his poem, the specific promises of God that Zechariah calls out makes sense because of Israel's situation. Zechariah burst out in poetry because he sees that all this means, these births, is that God is going to, what he says, finally deliver them from their enemies. Israel had been passed around from foreign ruler to foreign ruler for centuries, and now Zechariah sees all of a sudden, God is going to deliver us from our enemies. He's going he's to be what he promised. He's going to be a, a warrior for them that will save them from the hand of those who hate them. Zechariah sees that God is finally going to fulfill that promise of deliverance. But here's the awkward question. Does God do that? Does, through Jesus Christ, does God deliver Israel from foreign rulers? The answer is no. <laughs> In fact, quite the opposite. Just 70 years after this time of Zechariah, the Roman Empire will squelch a Jewish revolt and destroy Jerusalem, destroy the temple. And the, the idea that the category of Israel as a, as a nation state on the global stage is not even a category until 1948. Israel is, in fact, not delivered from their foreign rulers. Was Zechariah's poem misplaced? Was his joy at the sign of God's faithfulness, too optimistic, maybe? No. Was God actually faithful in doing the things that he had promised? My answer is, is yes. But there's a disconnection. There's, a, there's this disconnection, and it's actually a point of contention all throughout the gospel. So many people ended up rejecting Jesus simply because he was a different Messiah than the one they were expecting. They expected a militant conqueror who would free them from Rome. And so when Jesus didn't meet their expectations, they rejected him and ended up crucifying him. This disconnection 
of the people in the Gospels with this promise that they know, but there's an expectation on how God is going to be faithful to that promise. It comes because they had a fundamental misunderstanding of what Jesus was coming to do. And so therefore, a fundamental misunderstanding of what it meant for God to be faithful. Because Israel had been through hundreds of years of of foreign dominance, they filtered God's promises through their own situation, and because of that, misunderstood exactly what, what God was promising to do. They thought that for God to promise a deliverance from enemies meant a deliverance from the enemies they could see, when instead, Jesus comes to deliver them from the enemy that has gotten into all of these, gotten them into all these situations in the first place, idolatry, sin. The coming of Jesus Christ for these people and for us is a demonstration of God's faithfulness, but in ways that these original hearers would have never expected. Jesus would deliver them from their enemies, but he would focus his deliverance through his own cross, where he will free people from the tyranny and the torment of sin where he will pay the price of every sin that has gotten these Israelites into exile in the first place. Why do I I talk about all this? I want you to hear me say this in this Advent season. As soon as you filter God's faithfulness through your own expectations, you open yourself up to confusion. Like those who would have heard this promise of deliverance wrongly. We so often confuse God's faithfulness with our own expectations. What, why, why is that wrong? Well, one, because, because like these original hearers, all of our expectations are many times culturally influenced. The, the, the Jews had, had hundreds of years of being dominated by a foreign ruler, and that began to shape their cultural expectation of what it would look like for God to deliver them from their enemies. Same for us. We often take what is presented to us in the American dream, the constitutional promises of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and then associate those cultural expectations with the promises of God's provision and care. Which means, as soon as financial difficulty comes, as soon as there is some threat which frightens us, we rail against God as if he's not being faithful to us. When when in reality, what's happening is that we're being awakened to how our expectations of God's faithfulness were more culturally influenced than rooted in what the promises of God actually are. But also, it's wrong to filter God's faithfulness through our expectations because we are so short-sighted as human beings. Can we just take a moment and confess that together? Say amen. Amen. The pastor and author John Piper says that God is doing 10,000 things in your life and you might be aware of three of them. That's the truth. We are so short-sighted 
We can barely see what's going on at the macro level of our own lives, let alone what's happening as this complex web of relationships ends up defining what our life is like. We have no idea what's really going on in our life right now. No idea what God might be doing. Maybe three of them, (laughs) but not the 10,000 other things God is doing in your life right now. You have no idea. And so we should really exercise some humility when it comes to our expectations of how God is currently working, is currently working to come through, how God is demonstrating his faithfulness. I'm going to tell you a personal story. So in September of 2019, that was, that was the time where I and my wife really got this sense that God was calling us to come to Seattle. Without going into it, we, we are originally from Dallas, Texas, and yada, yada, yada. We, we felt like in that month that God was calling us to, to come to Seattle. We had no idea who Icon was, no prior context for Seattle, um, but we, we both felt that we got this sense that God was like, it's a yes for Seattle, and I'll show you the rest on the way. And uh, we kind of had to live on that and move on that for quite a while. And so fast forward a little bit into February of 2020, um, I had gotten to know Icon and was coming up here to interview for a job. Uh, Things went great, got the job. (laughs) Thanks, Paolo. Um, And then the day that that we were here, um, we were here for three days, but the the middle day when we did all the interviews, uh, my my father-in-law passed away. And uh, he had cancer for a long time. Um, and that is a, um, what's the right word here? Muddied relationship. Um, he, he, was, he was not a man of, of great integrity or honor, um, but we still wanted to show some honor and attend his funeral. Uh, so, I, so I get this job and uh, we, we fly back, which by the way, the day that we were here was also the first time that someone in Kirkland died of COVID-19. Um, and so we're, we're flying back, and we, you know, we're, we're excited about all this new reality, but we, we land in Dallas, and we immediately drive out to, Mex- to New, Me- New Mexico in order to attend this funeral, uh, which we end up getting kicked out of 10 seconds into being there because of some very um, dysfunctional relationships. We, we drove out there to try, to try to honor a man that we felt like didn't deserve much honor, but we still wanted to be faithful. And we, we go there, and we're excited about what's going to come, and, and we're just confronted by all of this family dysfunction, get kicked out of my father-in-law's funeral. We go, and we're, we're trying to grieve that, and we eventually come back to Dallas, and uh, all of that is still on my mind, and all <laughs> COVID starts to really blow up, you know, and by the way, at that time, my, my role here was support raised, uh, half paid and half support raised, and so all of a sudden, I've got to raise support during what people called one of the greatest financial crises, crises since the Great Depression. All that to say, March and April of 2020 were some of the most difficult, confusing disillusioning months of my life. I'll tell you this, twice in my life has the, twice in my life has, has suicidal ideations come up. That was one of them. Because I, I felt like God had led me along. 
Like you told me that it was a yes. You told me that it was Seattle, that you'd show us the rest on the way. You gave me this job, and then now I come back to this mess, having to deal with family dysfunction and with financial difficulty, and how in the world are we going to move across the country? By the way, my wife is pregnant with our second. What are we supposed to do, God? What are you doing? What are you doing? Was the question of my heart, the cry of my heart for those two months. And then now, I look back on that time, and I think, maybe God was preparing me to, to be a person who, who trusts him with my future, with everything going on, just fully depend on God. Maybe he was preparing me in that pressure cooker of a season to, to be able to do what, what's happened this year, to, to take on the invitation of taking over a small church plant from its founding pastors on the heels of a global pandemic. I learned some things in that season of March and April 2020, some real dependent faith that was at least enough for me to pick back up on in March and April and May of this year. I had no idea what God was doing. I had an expectation of what things were going to look like, but I was so short-sighted, so much more short-sighted than I could have realized. The coming of Jesus Christ, friends, is a demonstration of God's faithfulness to his promises, but in ways that these original hearers would not have expected. So where are you wrestling with the faithfulness of God right now? Wherever that wrestle is, Advent screams at us to hold on to God's faithfulness and to detach ourselves from short-sighted expectations. It tells us to filter God's promises through his character, not our expectations. Some of you are, are wrestling with prolonged singleness. You're at the age where you thought you'd have a spouse and maybe some kids. Some of you have kids that have become the source of your greatest frustration. And parent is your least favorite title right now. Some of you are, are maybe dealing with chronic illness and pain, and you're wondering how the stubbornness of your pain can ever overlap with the faithfulness of God. I'm not a prophet, and I can't tell you exactly why, but I can tell you who. You have a God that doesn't just intend your good, but actively works for it. His methods of producing good in your life may be hard to swallow, and maybe the good he's working in you is not the comforting, ooey-gooey good that many of us have come to expect in our feel-good culture, but the truth remains. And what Advent yells at us is that God is faithful to his people. There is not one promise that will go unfulfilled. There is no desire in God's heart for you and his desire for your life that will not come to actual expression. He will have 
his way with your life. And seeing as he's a God whose heart beats with love and whose actions are working with the grain of what is good, we should hear that today as good news. He will have his way. He will be faithful. That's the first theme of Zechariah's poem. Second, Zechariah's poem rejoices in the, in the tender mercy of God that is eventually going to be expressed through Jesus Christ. Look at the text with me. Man, I'm already super running late. Sorry, kids care. And you, child, start, sorry, starting in verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. So Zechariah turns his attention toward his, his, his own son, John, uh, who was just born, uh, but focuses his, his joy not just in John's prophetic task, but specifically in what John is going to have in his prophetic message. John will be the one who prepares the way of Jesus by, by what he says there, giving knowledge of what Jesus comes to bring, the forgiveness of sins. Now remember... Zechariah is a priest, which means he's very aware of what it means to be forgiven of sins. That's kind of his task. His priestly task was to offer sacrifices to God that would cover the sins of the people. And here, being filled with the Holy Spirit, he sees that that Jesus has come to be the, the penultimate expression and demonstration of God's tender mercy. I love the language he uses when he talks about the mercy of God. Though he was so familiar with it as a priest, the the mercy of God was not rote or routine. In fact, he he sees in Jesus Christ a, a greater expression of mercy than God has ever shown through the sacrifices of bulls and goats like he used to do. He says that this forgiveness of sins Jesus will bring is because of the tender mercy of God. In the Greek, the phrase literally reads, the merciful bowels of God. This mercy that Zechariah has tapped into is from the depths of God himself, from the depths of God. And more than that, this this deep mercy will be the means through, as he says, the means through which the light will visit the people, people who are living in what he describes as as sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. We understand that, right? Seattleites know the value of the sun, (laughs) the value of light that peeks through. What happens in your heart when there's a surprise breakthrough in the clouds? You run out to it. (laughs) You go soak up that vitamin D. You run out to it. You rejoice. You rush to get in it and soak it up. That's what Zechariah is describing here for the mercy of God. The coming of of Jesus Christ, 
And the work that he's going to perform is going to to bring mercy from the depths of God in order that those who sit in darkness might have light dawn on them again. Listen, maybe some of you, you're more like San Diego than you are Seattle in your spiritual life. Maybe you're always basking in the sun of God's mercy and you're just thriving. But for most of us, our spiritual lives are more like a Seattle January. There's a, a fond memory of what the sun brought, its, its warmth and light. And there's the hopeful, if not slowly dying, expectation that spring will come again. But right now, we're sitting in darkness. Well, the mercy of God, as Zechariah describes it here, would be like a sunny degree, sunny day in January. <laughs> so unexpected. The mercy of God through Jesus Christ is God's surprising interruption in our dark spiritual depression, whereby the light of, of joy and freedom, and even as he says there, peace will visit us. Advent is a great season for us to remember. We should be remembering it all the time, but for right now, a great season for us to remember the wonder of our faith. That Jesus Christ, as was read in John earlier, came into the world to save sinners. He did not come to condemn or to cast out, but to invite in with mercy. Do you, do you understand the wonder of that? The good news of that, the light of that in your darkness, that God will not deal with you according to your sins. The mercy of God, that God's affection for you, God's commitment to you is never dependent on your track record. Every other relationship, even the good ones that are supposed to be on covenant, right? Like marriage. Every other relationship functionally operates on the basis of works. We, we get affections when we've earned it. But God's movement toward us goes against the grain of our expectations welcoming in those who have pushed him away, standing with those who continually forsake him, giving a word of blessing to those that have lived a life cursing him. The mercy of God. I don't know where you're at spiritually in this Advent season, but if it's in a place of of spiritual depression. Maybe your heart feels far from the Lord, detached, disillusioned. Would you hear today the mercy of God towards you? That whatever you're, whatever you're feeling, whatever you've done to get yourself into that place or whatever you've not done to keep yourself in the right place, has no bearing on whether you can return to God or not and receive this light. You can come back because of the mercy of God, away with the darkness and dinginess of shame, away with the, the depressing load of a works-based relationship. Let the light of God's mercy dawn in your heart this Advent season, as you see Jesus Christ 
coming into this world with the expressed purpose of giving you what you don't deserve. The mercy of God. That's what Zechariah sings about here. And these two pills of the faithful, faithfulness of God and the mercy of God, if we will let ourselves receive it, we can have peace. That's what he connects all of these together with, right? If you look there in, in verse 74, that we, he talks about the, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, talking about the faithfulness of God, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. Or he connects later in verse 79 to the mercy of God to give light on those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God's faithfulness toward Israel would allow them to serve him without fear. God's tender mercy shines light on them in order to guide their feet back into the way of peace. Both God's faithfulness and God's mercy begins to push out in this Advent season that, that contagion that we all feel, especially in today's day and age of, of fear that robs us of peace. These two pills of faithfulness and mercy can push that out. How, how does that happen? Well, well, God's faithfulness and God's mercy takes away the foundation of fear, which is that we are alone and that we are self-dependent. Fear is able to spread when we carry the burden of our own existence and flourishing. We think it's up to us to make sure we have a life that we can look back on with nostalgia when we're in our 70s. Or we think it's up to us to be good people who deserve good things. And that self-dependence produces fear, pushes out peace. Because deep down, we know we don't have the control to produce the life that we want. And we don't have the track record that should make any of us deserving of good things. Karma's a lie. And in comes Advent, making way for real peace to exist in our hearts. When Advent communicates the faithfulness of God, you are released from the burden of creating yourself. You are released from the burden of carrying the, the goodness of your life, of sustaining it. When Advent communicates the, the mercy of God, we're released from the need to to, to feel like we've got to have everything together in order to, to earn good things from God. The faithfulness of God and the mercy of God attacks fear at its core. No longer are you left to provide for yourself, to establish yourself, or to prop up yourself. Instead, you can lean back into the faithfulness of God that guarantees your good. You can lean back into the mercy of God that promises God's goodness to those who are undeserving. You want to receive peace in this season? You want to, you want to get it down into you? Meditate 
and dwell on the faithfulness of God and the, and the mercy of God expressed in this Advent season. When we see that God is faithful, that God is merciful, we can turn our spirits toward the future and see hope. We can have peace knowing that our story is going somewhere, that we are riding along the promises of God, and we can know that our sin will never disqualify us from his goodness toward us. That's a peace that intersects with real life. That's what makes Zechariah rejoice. And friends, if we will, by faith, let God have his way in us and receive his faithfulness, receive his mercy without pushing back, just receiving it, we too can have this peace. And with that, we can, like Zechariah, certainly rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that the coming of Jesus Christ can convince us of your faithfulness. If we'll pay attention to it, if we'll receive it. God, for, forgive us for the ways that, that our hearts have railed against you because your faithfulness has not met our expectations. Lord, would your mercy be applied to us there? And would you help us to, to realign, to, to, to maybe even get to know the promises that you've actually made toward us? And that from there we would see, God, you are faithful like none other. You never leave. You never forsake. You never give up. And you never move away. Let that truth of your faithfulness give us peace. And God, in your mercy towards us in Jesus Christ, God, release us from the darkness of shame in this season where 2021 has been a year that feels like it's just an expression of how messed up we still are, but your mercy be applied to there. Let the light of your mercy shine on that darkness and give us joy. Do that work in our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us in gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.